Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and I know that this week I had promised we were going to do sort of a lighthearted holiday cheer episode, but it turns out that there just like wasn't that much lightheartedness or cheeriness to mine, and so call it an audible. And uh, I'm going to dip my toe back into the Republican presidential primary which I have done not a ton of this fall because there's only so many episodes you can do about Trump being up 40 points. But there has been something semi-quasi-interesting happening. Nikki Haley has gone from being the last afterthought candidate to the front runner of the afterthoughts. She has been edging out Ron DeSantis for second place. And so I want to talk through, A, how the Republican primary got this way, and B, what Nikki Haley's Hail Mary play is. A Haley Mary, if you will. My guest today is Wit Ayers, a Republican pollster and one of the smartest guys in Republican politics. Wit, thank you for being here. Sarah, always good to be with you. All right, man. So you and I did a poll at the start of the year for the bulwark that showed Ron DeSantis leading Trump by 22 points. Remember that? Along with a number of other polls, like the Wall Street Journal poll that had Ron DeSantis ahead of Donald Trump, which simply goes to show how much things can change in the course of a year. Yes. I was just thinking this. I'm not sure I've seen a bigger swing in Republican voters where Ron DeSantis was like Trump without the baggage and like his electability was the thing that people liked about him to now. I don't know if you heard this in some of the groups, but people talk about how he's not electable anymore. Like now Trump is Ron DeSantis without the baggage. Like he's just killed himself on the electability front. Sarah, it all goes to show what you and I have known for years. Candidates matter and campaigns matter. Uh, Ron DeSantis' support has been cut in half since he started campaigning. That tells you something. Sure does. It does not bode well for his political future. So do you think there's an alternate universe where Trump still gets indicted and DeSantis or Haley, you know, could have been running a more competitive race? Like, have you been surprised to see this dramatic turn back to Trump after the data showed so early on, right, that there was just this real chunk of voters who were open to an alternative to Trump. And there's still a chunk of voters who are all open to an alternative to Trump. They haven't yet seen a viable alternative, but if a viable alternative emerges, you can imagine a number of those voters going that direction. Am I surprised that Trump got as strong as he did after the horrible performance of Republicans in the midterms in 2022? uh, Yes, I am. But then I should stop being surprised at Donald Trump and the number of supporters he can gain in the Republican primary. Yeah. He just sort of can't beat something with nothing. And like you said, this chunk of voters was available. And you've always had this formulation that I love and I steal and riff on all the time, which is that there's the way that you can sort of put into buckets the Republican electorate just for the sake of categorizing them efficiently, is that there are always Trumpers, there's maybe Trumpers. My riff on that has always been, then there's move on from Trumpers. And the move on from Trumpers were like a real chunk of the party. They tended to be college educated and suburban. And those were like your big DeSantis curious voters. And I'll never understand why he didn't consolidate that group of people and then start working on the maybe Trumpers. And instead he went right after the always Trumpers And that is why he finds himself now with no constituency. I don't know if you can explain 
the thinking there, but that has always been sort of my assessment of what happened. No, I think you're exactly right. I, I think he misunderstood the fundamental problem for a candidate challenging Trump in a Republican primary in 2024. Always Trumpers are always Trump for a reason, and they're not going to settle for a paler version of Donald Trump if they can get the real thing. But let's keep in mind that a majority of the party, they're not never Trumpers. Never Trumpers are only about 10% of the party. But a majority of the party voted for Donald Trump twice. They would vote for him again against Joe Biden in a heartbeat. But they're at least curious and open to considering an alternative. I think there's a lot of commentary out there that talks about Donald Trump being the inevitable nominee. I think that's overstated. There's an awful lot of things that are going to happen between now and next summer in Milwaukee. Uh, he is a strong favorite. But a strong favorite is different from being inevitable. And I think we need to at least leave enough space to be surprised by somebody making a run at him in the early part of 2024 and maybe at the convention. Okay, this is why I wanted to have you on, because I wanna I wanna dig into this optimism. I, I am desperate to believe that you are right. In this podcast together, you and me, you are gonna, you're gonna get me there to feeling like I can believe that. The problem is, is that I, I look at the polling. Ann Seltzer, she's a she's a good one out there. She's a good pollster. Yep, she I haven't is. known her to be wrong too often. Yep. In Iowa, she has Trump over 50% there in Iowa. And, you know, Haley's doing a good job in New Hampshire, but Trump is still up pretty high there in New Hampshire. He's beating her by I don't know. I think if you add up Haley and and DeSantis and you double it, he's still ahead. I don't know. I get you're going to help me imagine this scenario where this where this works. I want to start because I want to jump into the groups here. Obviously, Nikki's rise in the polls has been partially driven by her debate performances. I think she's gotten good headlines. She's gotten good feedback. People like seeing her smack Ramaswamy. But I want to go back a little bit to before the debates. And the reviews she got in Republican focus groups were middling to bad, which is why I had always been skeptical that she was going to be a potential alternative. So let's listen. I don't believe she has a shot. I think she has some interesting ideas. I, she's campaigned so much here in Iowa and has held so many women events. From that perspective, I'm very interested in her. We think Nikki Haley's a rhino. And I also read... Mike Pompeo's book a year ago, where he pretty much called her out on some different things. I don't know. I There's just some problems with her. And I, I would just add that any presidential candidate that thinks that a two-state solution for Israel is the way to go will not have my vote. She's a great success story. And I like her. Don't get me wrong. I think she's great. But let's not hear about we lived on one side of the tracks and I look different. I don't want to hear that anymore. So that last woman was responding to Haley's announcement video uh, where she talks about how the railroad tracks in her town in South Carolina divided the town by race and the woman talking about a two-state solution. She was back in July. So these are like kind of older when we were asking about Haley. But since she's been on the debate stage, I've been really struck by how much voters talk about how she seems really competent and well put together. And so this is how Republican voters have sounded in the months since the debate started. I think she holds herself well. I think she's very put together, especially when Vivek attacked her pretty good there at one of those debates a couple weeks ago. So she she didn't back down with them, but um, very professional. I think she could hold her own, but, you know, I don't know. It's a whole different thing going from her current position to president of the United States. 
She had a strong track record as the governor in South Carolina, and then she was part of Trump's presidential cabinet. So I just think she has experience compared to the other candidates where she could potentially be a candidate to lead the country. I like Nikki Haley. That's who I'm going to vote for. I just think she comes across as very professional and knowledgeable. And I think she'd be a great choice of Republicans because she's conservative, you know, because with Trump, the women went mainly for the Democrats. And since there's more women than men voting, you know, we need the women to come back to the Republican Party. I started getting impressed with her when she was part of Trump's cabinet, and she really held her own at that point. So she won a lot of credit in my eyes. She hasn't worn it all away yet. And a lot of the polls, you know, you see Trump within the GOP, he's killing it. But it's like the rest, he, he won't get a single vote from the center or from the left. And, yeah, he's definitely taking a stand. He's being bold and he's making enemies and, you know, to that point. But in order to govern, you do have to reach across the aisle. You do have to have conversations and have a certain amount of calmness about you, I guess. But so Nikki seems level-headed. Well, a lot of them do. But... uh, she seems level-headed enough that she would attract some of the undecideds, the independents. Being a woman, she might even get some of the left vote because there hasn't been a woman president yet. So that might garner some extra votes. Okay, so, you know, people like Nikki Haley. I hear this a lot. I like her, but here's the kicker. Those people were mostly from the same focus group of two-time Trump voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that last guy, he's the only one in the group who would vote for Haley if the primary was held today. And so this is where you get to shine, Wit. Do you think Nikki Haley has a path to victory, and what does it look like? The straight answer is yes. It's a narrow path, but it's a path. I was Marco Rubio's pollster in 2016, and we basically had a 3-2-1 strategy. Third in Iowa, second in New Hampshire, win in South Carolina. And that was on track until Chris Christie put a knife in his back in the New Hampshire primary. That guy. But he was on track to do well. Uh, Nikki's is the similar sort of, of path where she comes in the top three in Iowa. The closer to DeSantis, the better. Beating DeSantis is even better than that. And then she goes into New Hampshire with some momentum. She already has Governor Sununu's endorsement. Uh, He's a popular guy there. But momentum really matters in these things. And you had a number of people in your focus groups who said, I like her, but I just don't think she can win. Well, they don't want to throw their vote away. But if they have some evidence from earlier elections that she could actually possibly win, then a number of those people are going to be for her. And if she comes in a close second or maybe even a victory in New Hampshire, then Trump's inevitability gets punctured in a hurry. I think the more likely prospect is that she comes in second in New Hampshire, but then wins in South Carolina. And that's a scenario for her to make a serious run. She's got to beat him somewhere. And South Carolina, her home state, is the most likely place. 
Sarah, I have some history with Nikki Haley uh, on the losing side. In 2010, she ran for governor of South Carolina in a Republican primary. She was a state House member with a tiny constituency. She ran against the incumbent lieutenant governor, the incumbent attorney general, and my client, an incumbent congressman from the most Republican district in the state. In the initial ballot, Nikki Haley got as many votes as the three challengers put together. She got 48.5% of the vote. Uh, my guy, Gresham Parrott, good man, Gresham got 21%. They went to a runoff because she didn't quite get to 50%, and she beat Gresham 65 to 35. In a conservative Republican primary in a deep South state. What year was this? This was 2010. Okay. And, and this tells you something about her political skill and her political talent. She's the real deal. Uh, she showed some real leadership chops after the Dylan Roof massacre in Charleston. She is a serious politician with some real talent. Now, she's up against King Kong, and King Kong has done pretty well in Republican primaries. Uh, we'll see if she's got what it takes to go up against King Kong. But I'm telling you, she is a talented politician with a lot of potential to do well and capture attention. King Kong, who's like not even in the debates now, so he's just like dipped out. Then she's got this like series of flying monkeys she's got to contend with or these other guys in the debates. This last debate, she got the front runner treatment from them, which was meant that they were all attacking her in some way, except for Chris Christie, who, by the way, I'll just say from my perspective, delivered the most fatal blow to her. Uh, by white knighting for her and coming in and being like, Vivek Ramaswamy, he keeps calling this woman an idiot. He keeps talking about how stupid she is. And he just like, he was stepping on the criticism of her while acting like he was defending her. And I think she should have been like, Chris, thanks so much. I don't need your help here. But no, big bully Chris Christie jumped in on her back. I thought that was bad for her. I thought she seemed kind of paralyzed by all the attacks and uh, didn't quite know where to go with that. I agree that she's been really driven. The fact that she is now the person that I think people think will be the alternative to Trump, albeit a, a small one, it is, speaks to the fact that she's had a real run here. But like, what did you think of that last debate? I thought that she was in the bullseye, which shows you that she has really been gaining. Uh, I don't think Chris Christie heard her there. Beating up on Vivek Ramaswamy is sort of easy pickings. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guy may be the most obnoxious person to ever set foot on a Republican debate stage, and that's saying something. Saying something. But Chris Christie can hurt Nikki Haley by sticking around long after he has any realistic chance of winning. We saw that in 2016 when John Kasich hung around and hung around and hung around, and to a lesser extent, Jeb Bush, far longer than he had any reasonable prospect of winning. And he cost Marco Rubio the Virginia primary victory. Donald Trump got 35, Marco Rubio got 32, and in Virginia, John Kasich got nine. 
All of those nine would have gone to Marco Rubio had he not been in the race. Marco Rubio would have had a big victory. This was Super Tuesday in the Eastern time zone. But John Kasich helped Donald Trump win the Virginia primary. I had some personal experience with that sitting in a dentist chair in Virginia after the primary, and my dental hygienist was telling me about how she and her husband had never gotten involved in a primary before, but they really didn't like Trump, and they really wanted to stop him. And I said, so how, how did you vote? So, said, well, I, I like Marco, so I voted for Rubio, and my husband liked Kasich, so he voted for Kasich. And I said, so you canceled each other out in what you were trying to do. <laughs> and she said, I never really thought about it like that. Uh -huh. Which was more painful, that little vignette uh, or the dental oh, work? That vignette was much more painful. I've got to go. <laughs> but that just shows you people don't think strategically. Right now, Chris Christie is running third in New Hampshire, somewhere around 10% of the vote. He says that his primary goal is to keep Donald Trump from being president of the United States. Well, guess what? By sticking around and maintaining his place in this race, he could do exactly the opposite of what he said he wants, and that is help Donald Trump get the nomination. If he got out, almost all of his vote, and you know from the survey that we did, almost all of his vote would go to Nikki Haley. Yeah, it's worth mentioning, actually, that you and I did a survey together pretty recently. It wasn't to release. I was trying to get a sense of what's it look like? What's the path for Nikki? Because I'm here for it if I think it can be done. And one of the things that was clear as day from this survey was the fact that if Chris Christie gets out, his votes go to her. Yep. And I felt bad because Chris Christie has been doing the right thing, right? He's telling the truth. He's standing up in front of people who don't want to hear it. He's giving them the tough medicine. And I, and I like that. And I'm for it. And I, I've supported Christie in the past on this stuff. I don't hold it against him necessarily about him doing a lot to help Trump back in 2016. I, anybody who's on side now is good. When the New York Times called me recently for a story and it was like, lots of people are saying Christie should drop out and like, why don't you think he is or whatever? And I was like, I got, I was like, got all mad. And I was like, because time is a flat circle and everybody insists on playing out the 2016 primary beat for beat exactly like it was back then. And Chris Christie needs to drop out instead of doing what he did to Marco Rubio, as you pointed out here. He's just hurting Nikki now. Anything he does, it's not helping her. I don't know what he thinks he's doing. It's time. It's time, buddy. Good job. I appreciate what you've done, but you've got to show now that it is more than your ego at work here and you are ready to actually be helpful to some of these other candidates. Well, Chris Christie is running a very different campaign than any of the others. He's running for that never Trump slice of the party that's only 10 or maybe 12 percent, maybe a touch higher in New Hampshire. The problem with that, Sarah, is that when you call Donald Trump unfit for office, you essentially insult those millions of Republicans who voted for him in 2016 and 2020. That's not the way to appeal to those maybe Trump voters who supported him in the past. And I know never Trump people get really frustrated uh, with Haley and DeSantis because they haven't gone after Trump more frontally. I'm sorry. That's not the way to get those people. The way you get them is arguing the same way Nikki Haley is arguing, which is 
he was a good president for the time, but it's time we move on. It's time to pass the torch to a new generation. It's time to put aside our grievances about the past and look to the future. All of those are arguments that could appeal to a maybe Trump voter. But calling him unfit for office is not going to appeal. Even if Donald Trump is convicted of a felony and sent to jail, the convention next summer is not going to turn to Chris Christie and go, you know, you were right all along about this, Chris, and I'm going to support you now. I'm sorry. That's not how things work. They will still resent him for saying bad things about their hero and for being so dismissive of him. So he has no path to the nomination. The only thing he can do, having made his point, is get out and let someone who has a path to the nomination pick up his votes and become a more serious alternative to Donald Trump. Okay, I wasn't necessarily planning on having this conversation, but like, I want to tease this out because this is important. It's important to me. I know what you're saying is intellectually and strategically correct, okay? It is intellectually and strategically correct. There is no way to beat Donald Trump in a Republican primary and have a campaign that isn't just like sort of critical of him. The way Chris Christie's doing it, though, is he sounds like a never-Trumper. But with all due respect to your argument, Chris Christie's negatives are really high because of how his attacks have gone. And he has no path. I agree. And he should get out. Donald Trump is still beating Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, for that matter, by 30 or 40 points in just about every poll. And so I just think real opposition to Trump has never been tried. So Nikki Haley's like a smidgen in a better position than Chris Christie. And I don't know that the tepid, oh, he's a good president, but, you know, I don't know. It's I don't think that's working either. You do have to kind of bigfoot him, I think. You do have to out-alpha him, especially if you're a woman. When you say never Trumpers get mad that these people don't attack him, Okay, well, what I'm mad about is that there is nobody who can beat him in any way. And so, like, right now, I don't think that the strategy you're suggesting seems that much better than Chris Christie's. Her negatives are less high. People like her a little more. And I agree, she's the narrowest of narrow paths if everything goes right and he chokes on a cheeseburger. But, like, I don't know that I think there wasn't a way to be much more aggressive and actually run a campaign against this guy. The case has been prosecuted. The case has been prosecuted aggressively by a very aggressive and effective prosecutor named Chris Christie. He has gone after him. He's gone after him frontally. He's called him unfit for office. He has gone after him directly and totally ineffectively when it comes to Republican primary voters. Nikki Haley has done better than he has done and stands on a higher position than he is because she's run a different kind of campaign that's a more effective campaign to those maybe Trump voters. So let's not say the case hasn't been prosecuted, because it has. I just think there has to be a more effective way to prosecute this case. So you work with Marco Rubio, right? I remember Rubio making this flip. And he started to be like, oh, you know what they say about guys with little hands? I can't even remember. He basically sunk to Trump's level there at the end. And it killed him. And that was terrible. It didn't work for him. Nikki Haley, again, rooting for her, desperately wants somebody to beat Trump so much so that I was willing to go for DeSantis. I was willing to be there. And I think DeSantis sucks. <laughs> and I, I was willing to do it because Trump is the worst. Trump is the absolute worst. But don't you think there's something morally problematic about when people look at Nikki Haley and they think like, 
this is a normie, this is a good person. And she raises her hand on the stage and says, yeah, I think it's okay if he's president. Forget the political calculation for one second and think about it morally. Doesn't she just create a permission structure for normies to forgive him for all of the illegal things he's done? I think that particular move on her part was a mistake. I don't know if she and her team think it's a mistake. I happen to think it was. But I still think that her basic approach to Donald Trump has been far more effective than Chris Christie's approach to Donald Trump, which is why she has gone up and Chris Christie has not. She is in a better position. I I certainly agree with that. I just think like She's still down 30, 40 points everywhere. That's why Donald Trump is a strong favorite. Ugh, strong favorite. Donald Trump is not inevitable. Okay. Uh, okay. But now I'm going to hit you with some sound. Because like you said, as Haley's star has risen, uh, she's also had fiercer detractors than she's used to. And like Vivek and after all this, you know, she's still down this 30 points. And so I think when you listen to the Republican voters, these like two-time Trump voters, like, I think it's clear why. Let's listen. I don't trust her. She said she wouldn't run against Trump, and here she is doing it. And she flip-flops and giving the land to the Chinese. And she's just uh, not very trustworthy, in my opinion. I was extremely disappointed in her running for cover and and political cover when, uh, you know, the whole January 6th thing happened. I was extremely disappointed because I felt like she was kind of hitching her shining star to Trump. And the you know first sign of trouble, she jumped ship because she didn't want to you know die politically. For me, it comes down to integrity. And all these people that we're talking about that aren't Trump, I'm treating them as maybe possibly a running mate. But even that's a long shot for me. I don't think he likes anybody on that stage. Okay, so the one thing I've always heard politically wise is if you want to be president, you got to be hated by half the country. I don't think she can do it. I don't think she can say anything to get people to hate her that that much. So why waste the time? I like what Vivek says often, and he has the courage to say it. And what he said about her in the debate, it struck me that, you know, she was uh, not very well off when she became a politician, and now she's a multi-millionaire and Uh, was on the board of uh, trustees for Boeing. And yeah, she's too much of of a traditional, which is, I say this in a negative way, you know, traditional politician who I don't think, uh, you know, has a real core values that she's going to stand by. I think she's going to go which way the wind blows. But I think she's, from the polls, seems to be the most electable because it looks like people are divided. And there are people that are never going to vote for Trump And there are people that are always going to vote on the left. And then there's a small amount in the middle that seems to decide these very close elections we've had for, you know, decades now. And she probably attracts most of the middle women and sort of moderates. One of the things I'm a little leery of her about is when she left as being governor of South Carolina, she was almost broke. And then when Trump put her in in the U.N., all of a sudden, her and her husband got their little uh, foreign military contracting business up and running. Now, all of a sudden, she's a multimillionaire. I love those folks who aren't going to vote for her because she's made some money, but they will vote for Donald Trump. Really? I got news for you about the focus group participants. Just the American public, the linear, it's not, not always there. 
what I thought was funny is the guy who was like literally treating the debates as who might Trump's running mate be? Like, who might I like enough to be Trump's running mate? Because he doesn't actually even look at them as possible presidential candidates. So the last guy I mentioned, one of the most important takeaways from this Republican primary, which is, and I've seen this now in the groups for a long time, a critical mass of Republican voters bristle at candidates who they perceive as traditional politicians. You know, you're one of the guys who helps candidates message test, which is one of those things that voters complain about with traditional politicians. Like, you guys message test and come up with messages, and they want them to tell it like it is, man. They want the truth bombs. And I know someone's dead in the water with voters when they say, I think they're an establishment politician or a traditional politician or a regular politician, because the Republican primary voters hate regular politicians now. Do you see that? Sarah, many of those people were always Trump voters who are going to be with Trump regardless of what happens in a court case or anything else. Uh, We've talked before about the devotion that always Trump people have to Donald Trump, and they can't stand anyone criticizing him at all. As I believe I've mentioned to you before, criticizing Donald Trump among always Trump voters is like criticizing Jesus in a rural evangelical church. Mm -hmm. You know, you can take a shot at Jesus and say, oh, he's not all that he's cracked up to be. It's not going to hurt Jesus's reputation at all, but it'll sure destroy the reputation of the person who takes a shot at him. And that's what the always Trump people are like. I do think it's interesting that one of the guys there at the end said, you know, I think she could attract some people that Republicans haven't been able to attract. And let me tell you, if you believe it all in polls, those polls are saying exactly that when it comes to Joe Biden. Donald Trump is beating Biden by low single digits. There was one poll, I believe, that had Nikki Haley beating Biden by 17 percentage points. Now, I don't think anybody's going to win by 17, but Nikki Haley, at this point anyway, would stomp Joe Biden. It wouldn't even be close. It would be the largest margin of any presidential election in the 21st century if she actually got the nomination. So for people who really, really, really want to beat Joe Biden, Nikki Haley is a far better choice than Donald Trump. There's no doubt about it. And in fact, one of the groups that we included in this is like two-time Trump voters who are pretty down on Trump. And she's still, I think there was only one person in that group who was willing to vote for her. And so they're just regular two-time Trump voters and they still want Trump. And also, I got to say, I don't know if you noticed this watching the clips, but it always jumps out at me. The enthusiasm gap between people who really want Trump and people who are like up for somebody else. People who are up for somebody else are just that. They're like, yeah, yeah, I could consider someone else. I kind of like this. You say like who likes Trump and there was like a girl and one of them started doing like a dance. Like she was like, yeah, it's going to be Trump. You know, like they just get really pumped for it. And I do think that voters at this point now are resistant to the electability argument in part because they feel like they swallowed Mitt Romney, they swallowed uh, George W. Bush and other candidates because they were told that this was the most electable person. And I think what Donald Trump did was sort of shatter the idea that they had to compromise for an establishment candidate to get the win, that you could take the crazy son of a gun and still do it. But there's no doubt you're right that the people who we hear from in the focus groups really like her. It's the Trump to Biden voters. It's the swing voters. It's the people who didn't want to vote for Trump and went for Biden. Let's listen. I just think she's great. First of all, she's a woman. She's a woman of color. 
She you know, pushed through a white male dominated field to prove herself. When she was at the UN, she would shut down all the nonsense that the UN would talk. And uh, to me, she, you know, has chutzpah, you know, she has the gall that's needed and the bravery to stand up for it. I think she got trapped within the MAGA realms and separating it has been you know, painful and has hurt her um, as she should separate from that nonsense. Nikki Haley probably is the one that I maybe resonate with the most. I think she's probably a little more moderate than some of her counterparts there. Um, some of her views on social issues are closer to what I believe in as well. So if I had to choose, um, I would choose her. I kind of like Nikki Haley. She's stood up to Trump. She's got some decent, you know, foreign experience. I think she's moving up a little bit. So I'm kind of liking what I hear there. There's not a whole lot else from the other candidates that I'm too jazzed about. DeSantis is dangerous. His wife was going through cancer treatment, but he publicly said we don't need to wear a mask during the pandemic. Um, so he's too radical. I like Nikki Haley or Liz Cheney. Could either of them be the top candidate? Probably not. I think she's a good leader, and I think we lack that the last couple of administrations. I think she is who she is, and she doesn't care. It doesn't seem like she flip-flops to try to appease everyone. Like She's not as much of a politician, and I think she would do really good for you know like foreign policy. I think she would do the right thing for Ukraine. So... I think it bodes poorly for her that the people who really get enthusiastic about her are people who voted for Biden last time. Now, they are sort of center-right in their orientation often, or they voted for Trump the first time, they were Republicans in the past, but that means that they like that old guard of the Republican Party. Like me, they were nice, moderate squishes before. You know, limited government, free markets, American leadership in the world, hooray! And now they're not so hot on all this stuff. And you mentioned this, this Wall Street Journal poll was wild, that had Trump leading Biden in a general election by four points nationally, and Nikki Haley leading Biden by 17 points. And I got to say, if Nikki Haley's actually won the national popular vote by 17 points, like my back of the envelope math says that would mean she's winning 400 electoral votes and winning states like New Jersey, Illinois, Colorado, and Oregon. So that seems a little out there for to me, but like maybe, I don't know, I think she would do well in a general election. So do you actually think it's possible to win by 17 points in a country this polarized? That seems implausible. Probably not. But I will tell you that Joe Biden is the weakest incumbent president since Jimmy Carter. And he is weighed down by his job performance, not just Afghanistan, but inflation, an unwillingness to address the border crime. He is incredibly weak. Now, the White House, I think, is in denial about how weak he is. And they say a lot of things can change in the course of a year. But guess what won't change, Sarah? He's not going to be a year younger He's not going to be any more vigorous physically, and he's not going to be any more sharp mentally. Moreover, Kamala Harris is not going to look better and more ready to assume the most difficult office in the world a year from now. He's got these two giant vulnerabilities, his age and his vice president, and nothing is going to happen in the next year to change either one of those. So would a Nikki Haley win by 17 points? I don't think so, but she might win by 10, which would be a huge change from every other election we've had in the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, 
if Nikki Haley were the nominee, something has gone very right with the Republican Party, uh, something that I don't see happening. And also, I'm mad at Nikki. I'm rooting for her, but I'm also mad because she's done things like raise her hand and help build the permission structure to support Donald Trump. I think she's been as much part of the problem. I would love to see her be the solution. Uh, and so I, I actually, when push comes to seven in general, I might have a little trouble out of like a personal anger. But like, she's not a threat to democracy. And so like at that point, like it's sort of one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do focus groups and I'm going to go back to, I don't know, sipping tea and go to the beach because whoever wins, we're going to be okay. Which means I don't have to live in this catastrophic space of Donald Trump might be the president again. The problem is, as much as I want to live in your world, I listen to voters, especially the Republican Party has changed so much on foreign policy. It's one of the things that I have just seen just shift so much with these voters. And the fact that they view Haley as part of the foreign policy establishment and might get us into wars, which you hear a lot, is a huge knock against her with these Republican voters, the primary voters specifically. Let's hear what they have to say about Nikki on that front. I think she's incredibly well-spoken. You know, I I think the way she, you know, just talks to people, I think is a, a breath of fresh air relative to Trump, you know, people that she disagrees with. You know, but again, my big issue with her is just her position on, I think, Ukraine and and our involvement at a time when financially, I don't think we can do that. I'm personally not the biggest Nikki Haley fan because I think that she's a bit um, quick to go to war. Um, That being said, you know, I was surprised that she came out being the quote unquote winner of the debate when I didn't see that case at all. I think that the party's pushing for her very, very strongly. Actually, just real quick, do you think the party's pushing for her really strongly? Of course not. The party has been <laughs> taken over by Donald Trump. Why do you think we have so many front-loaded primaries with winner-take-all rules for it? That's just silly. The fact remains that a substantial majority of Americans think that we ought to help Ukraine confront the butcher of Buka who's trying to take over their country. And the majority of Americans believe that we're better off sending money to Ukraine than sending troops to help NATO countries that get attacked by Putin. So I think there is a strong isolationist element within the Republican Party. There's always been. Uh, Donald Trump expanded that. But I still don't think it's the majority view of most Republicans that we should just turn our back and abandon Ukraine to Putin and his minions. Well, you may be right, but it looks like only by a couple percentage points, because in March 2022, only 9% of Republicans thought we were providing too much aid to Ukraine. In December 2023, that number is 48%. Mm-hmm. So you might not be a majority, but it's getting up there. It is. It's close. It's bad. It's it bad. Is. And it's frightening. Uh, it's frightening. Do you think there's a way to get public opinion to bounce back on Ukraine? I mean, we're watching right now this unfold, and it's pretty alarming how, like, Republicans – I mean, Joe Biden, give them what they want on immigration. It'll probably help you politically. Also, it's wild to me to watch Republicans hold aid to a democracy, like, hostage here, and that we have to rely on Democrats to push this through. Well, they're playing a card for the – border and strengthening the border, which, by the way, 80 percent of Americans, including Democrats, want to do. Yeah. Uh, the fact that Joe Biden apparently feels scared of his far left wing is appalling. I mean, he's supposed to be a politician who makes agreements and gets people together on one side. Give him the border money. 
give them the border money and give Ukraine money and give Israel money. We've got enough money to do all three. And I wish he'd get off his duff and go and make a deal and get that done. Does it not seem like he's trying? My impression of this, and admittedly, my strong suit is is different, but is that he's trying to work with Mitch McConnell and the folks in the Senate. I'm not sure the Republicans in Congress are, are trying to do a straight up deal because, I mean, he's asking them, what do you want? And they don't have an answer. I do think that there is room for an agreement on the border and on aid to Ukraine that they could reach. And I'm just hopeful that they will reach it sooner rather than later. Okay. Before we wrap, because that's all the sound we have, before we wrap, you think that Nikki Haley can win South Carolina. You think she can win her own state? I think that there's a path for her winning South Carolina, but she has to do well in Iowa. By well, I mean top three. And she's got to do very well in New Hampshire, close second or maybe even winning. And then she could win South Carolina. If she gets blown out by two to one in New Hampshire, I don't think that bodes well for her chances in South Carolina. So yes, I think there's a path, as we said at the start, it's a narrow path, but there is a path. And I I think we'd be foolish to simply ignore that path and crown Donald Trump the Republican nominee. Let's keep in mind that it looks like the first week in March, he will be on trial for four felony counts that involve jail time in a trial in front of a judge that's not particularly sympathetic with a jury pool in Washington, D.C. that voted 92 to 5 for Joe Biden. I've talked to a number of attorneys who think that the chances of him getting convicted of at least one or two or three of those four felony counts are substantially better than even. I talked to one guy who defended one of the January 6th insurrectionists who went in the east side of the Capitol, didn't kill anybody, didn't hurt anybody, didn't deface anything. But he he was a 22-year-old kid who was called to Washington by Donald Trump to fight for Trump. Uh, And he did go in the Capitol. And this attorney said, when you started playing tape of the riot, you could have heard a pin drop. And then when the Capitol Hill police walked in in their uniforms and talked about the emotional and physical trauma of that day, he said it was all over. The kid was convicted on all seven counts. He said the best I could do for him was get him a suspended sentence, but he was convicted in that courtroom of all seven counts. So I don't know how that's going to play out. We've never been through anything remotely like it before. But what happens if by the 1st of May, Donald Trump is a convicted felon facing a possible jail term? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. His base will stick with him. There's no question his base will stick with him. But how about those maybe Trump voters? If they have an alternative, will they go to an alternative? I don't know. It might be too late by then. I was going to say, I could almost like buy this theory if we were just talking about all right, people start to worry this guy is going to be in jail and like can't even run against Joe Biden. Like, let's just say that's plausible. By May, it's over. Like, he wins the first four states and he wraps it up. Super Tuesday. I mean, somebody used the word, it was like a lefty said something like, well, how he's rigged to the primaries. And I was like, they're not rigged, but they are front loaded. Chris LaCivita and Susie Wiles are not stupid people. Nope. And he has got a real team and they have front loaded this primary and they are winner take all, winner take most states. Yep. And it's not like he'll have all the delegates, but like 
I don't know how you get to May without him looking like the whole thing's wrapped up, basically. It's certainly possible. It is certainly possible. And then it puts the Republican Party in a real dilemma if indeed he is convicted. You know, is one of our two major parties seriously going to nominate a convicted felon facing jail time to be president of the United States and head of the Justice Department and with the tools available to him with the IRS, the CIA and the FBI? I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) I know it's kind of a frightening prospect for the Republican Party as well as for the country. Yeah. One last thing, because I wrote it down because I wanted to just go back to it. That argument we were having about Christie attacks versus sort of the tepid way Haley engages him. It seemed to me listening to the voters and the focus groups about her, like her running against him was the sin anyway. Like the fact that she's running against him is already taken as an affront by the always to quasi always voters. And so always Trump voters can't stand anyone criticizing him and running against him is in effect criticizing. So tell me what the right way for her to, to win this is like, what's the strategy? The strategy is to present yourself as a capable and realistic alternative to Donald Trump who doesn't carry the divisiveness, who doesn't carry the millions of people who hate Donald Trump, who is capable of doing the job effectively and capable of beating Joe Biden like a drum. And do you think to do that, to basically be like me and not him? What is it? Is is, is it a gold watch? I've always kind of liked the gold watch him to death strategy. I sort of, I want to see somebody kind of being like, look, the old man was fine four years ago, but the old man doesn't have any. And I don't know, I I listen to a lot of these voters and I don't think they deal in like nuance a ton. Like Donald Trump has the nuance of a sledgehammer, right? A car alarm. So like, I, I think that they have to draw some contrast. It can't be nothing. There has to be a real sense of, why I can do the job, why I'm the alpha, why you can trust me, to what are some deeply skeptical voters who who only trust Trump and think the act of running against him, you've already offended them. They're always Trump people are always <laughs> Trump for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are going to be always Trump. They are not going to change. But they are not, at least at this point, a majority of the party that's locked into Trump. It's 35, 40% maybe, maybe even a little higher depending on the state. But that doesn't mean that he has the entire Republican Party as an always Trump voter. There are still maybe Trump voters out there. And you talk about presenting something different. An Asian American woman who has been a successful governor of a deep south state and a successful United Nations ambassador, by definition, looks totally different from Donald Trump. Yeah. I should blame some of the sound, though, of people. They both say they don't think other people will elect a woman, but they also do this thing about world leaders won't respect a woman because they've never heard of Margaret Thatcher. Hold of or Yeah, no, I know. Uh, it's or Angela Merkel. Angela or- Merkel, to just name a very recent example. But um, it has been a little bit striking to me how many Republican voters, women in Republican voters, are kind of like, I don't know, I don't think, I don't think a woman can do it. It makes me feel bad in my tummy. Uh, well, love there are plenty of, plenty of examples around the world of women being very strong and very influential national leaders. Agree. Hard agree. Wit Ayers, thank you so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of the Focus Group Podcast. 
We will be back next year. I hope people get a chance to unplug from politics a little bit in order to recharge for 2024 because we are all going to need to stay motivated for what is coming. I know I'm going to take a little time, but love you all. You're the best. And I'll see you next year in 2024.